0: From KUAR News in Little Rock, this is a look at Arkansas news, politics, and more.
1: Coming up... Governor Asa Hutchinson signs into law his $50 million tax cut for low-income Arkansans.
2: But what does it mean for the state budget after a less-than-rosy revenue report? We'll have a full explanation of why revenue is so below forecast.
0: One possible way to help fill the shortfall Could come from imposing a state sales tax on major
1: online retailers like Amazon. Sharia law is debated during a hearing at the Capitol, prompted by a bill that makes no mention of it.
2: And we'll sit down and talk with longtime radio jazz host and preservationist John Kane, who this week celebrated his 80th birthday.
0: For the week ending Friday, February 3rd, 2017, this is KUAR's Weekend Review Podcast. I'm Michael Hiplin.
2: I'm Chris Hickey. And I'm Bobby Ampazon of Arkansas Public Media.
0: That's just ahead. On Wednesday, Governor Asa Hutchinson signed into law a tax cut for low income Arkansans. This had been a priority for him, and uh, he certainly, I'm sure, uh, enjoyed uh, being able to uh, sign this.
3: Uh, it is now law. Well done. Uh, thank you.
0: Joined by lawmakers there Wednesday as they uh, signed this that uh, will impact uh, hundreds of thousands of Arkansans. Chris, you were there?
1: Yeah, about 650,000 low income Arkansans, people making below $21,000 per year, would be affected. This bill, as we've mentioned before on the podcast, cuts the marginal tax rate. And, uh, you know, it had bipartisan support. It cleared both houses of the legislature with uh, very little opposition. There was a competing tax measure uh, sponsored by Democrats for an earned income tax credit. Uh, That, of course, did not uh, gain muster in either chamber of the House uh, or the Senate, Uh, but this one did. Um, But at the same time, you know, we have. People not only calling for further tax cuts and exemptions, but there's also sort of an issue now with the uh, state revenue report.
0: Yeah. Well, first, let's uh, play the governor uh, speaking to reporters after signing this bill.
1: It's
3: significant that uh, the first public bill signing will be the priority item that I had on the agenda that's also been a priority of the legislators and that is a $50 million tax cut for low-income Arkansans. Uh, I wanted to recognize uh, the President of the Senate, Jonathan Dismang, uh, Speaker of the House, Jeremy Gillum. Uh, Thank you for your leadership on this and all the other members that are here. And I know that uh, uh, the majority leaders, uh, Senator Hendren uh, carried this bill on the Senate side, did a masterful job. And then Matt Pitch, who is uh, risk uh, life and limb to get here in time will shortly be here. I think, I think he's coming up the stairs, but I want to recognize him as well that carried this in the house side. First of all, this benefits 650,000 Arkansans that will benefit from this tax cut with a reduction in their rate with more money in their pocket. Let's just absorb that for a second and think about the impact for 60, 650,000 Arkansans. Secondly, Uh, This is a boost to the economy because those Arkansans will spend this money. And thirdly, it gives us a more competitive rate.
0: And part of this bill also uh, creates a 16-member legislative task force uh, that uh, will look at proposed deeper cuts. This is to appease uh, some lawmakers who had wanted uh, much deeper cuts. The governor's tax cut from two years ago was more for middle-income taxpayers This one, uh, Lower Income. And uh, this task force is expected to, uh, before the next legislative session uh, in 2019, uh, come up with the recommendations.
3: This is the most conservative and responsible tax cut that we can have and continue down the path of lowering our rates. It is $50 million. There were many that wanted higher level of tax cuts uh, there There were many other different tax bills. We focused on this and said this is what we can afford, and we will put it in the second year of the biennium so that we are making sure that we are responsible in our path toward tax cuts.
1: And as you heard him mention there, the second year of the biennium, meaning 2019 is when these tax cuts are set to take effect. So we'll have a couple years to see, you know, whether or not the state can afford the tax cuts in the first place, and also this task force that you'll, that the leaders of the House and Senate will be creating. Uh, they'll be issuing reports uh, both this year and next um, on recommendations uh, covering all kinds of um, issues regarding tax legislation.
0: And the governor did get a little bit of a splash of cold water the day after signing this bill, when uh, you had the Department of Finance and Administration release its revenue report for January, all total for the fiscal year that began last July, uh, the state has now fallen $57 million below forecast. And uh, the governor uh, says he's asking several agencies to uh, look at contingency plans, consider if uh, they do have to make cuts how would they do this? Uh, in particular, uh, he's uh, asking that of the Department of Human Services, Education, and uh, Correction. For January, the revenue totaled uh, nearly $536 million. That's $15 million below the same month last year. Uh, and I spoke with uh, uh, the Department Economist, John Shelnut. And uh, th- this is a little dry, I'll admit, but he offers uh, a pretty good explanation of uh, how the state ended up in this uh, position and uh, all of the different uh, revenue sources coming in and uh, what's ahead.
4: In January, we uh, had a departure from forecast in, in an area that's a little bit surprising, and that's the individual withholding tax. That's uh, payroll withholding that relates only to the uh, monthly forecast in terms of our allowance for uh, payday timing effects in the monthly forecast, and um, in this case, we were off in that prediction on the setup of that timing effect, and it actually worked against us uh, on the order of about uh, $22 million. In that anomaly, it actually works itself out next month, so in February, collections will be back up by that amount and probably go over forecast because of that. But in January alone, uh, net available revenue is $47.1 million below forecast for the month. Uh, in addition to uh, the payroll timing issue, uh, corporate income tax was $19.4 million below forecast as estimated payments fell short of monthly projections. And this is probably the end of the uh, pattern that we've seen of uh, corrections to uh, overpayment and tax liability from the past with uh, adjustments to estimated payments, uh, corporate estimated payments, and so uh, I think that is now behind us, but uh, for the month it was uh, $19.4 million below forecast. And then in sales tax, we were $6 below forecast. But retail sales within overall sales tax uh, were moderate during the holiday shopping season. But uh, we did observe that restaurant sales were flat, while motor vehicle sales were up by about 12%. Uh,
0: So what will this uh, mean for the the overall uh, uh, year? Any change in uh, the forecast or...
4: Well, we're going to continue to watch it. Uh, We have the income tax filing season coming up, and we will be monitoring the rate of refund flow in that time period on a daily basis. As I said, the uh, payroll withholding is going to come right back up in a short-term kind of rebound, but we would expect that to rebound across the remaining uh, five months as well. And then uh, sales tax, uh, I think, will continue to uh, do better than it did uh, early in the fiscal year.
0: So there is the hope that uh, things will get better, but this uh, uh, certainly did get the attention of uh, Governor Hutchinson. One possible source to get some additional money, though, could be a uh, proposal that uh, advanced this week. It uh, would look at using money from major online retailers Uh, like Amazon. Arkansas apparently one of only a handful of states that doesn't get sales tax revenue uh, from this, and uh, the measure uh, passed out of a committee Wednesday, the Senate Revenue and Taxation Committee. It would require state sellers that have no physical presence in Arkansas to begin collecting sales taxes if they sell more than $100,000 worth of products or make at least 200 separate sales transactions. Uh, Governor Hutchinson commented on this uh, Wednesday and uh, said that he needs to learn more but that overall it sounds like a good idea.
3: I need to look at that more clearly uh, and and that legislation that Senator Files has introduced. It's my understanding, I was told today that uh, Amazon is starting to pay sales tax in every state except for five. Uh, so uh, I hope uh, we're not the last ones uh, to have that fairness in terms of, of that uh, big marketplace and uh, uh, and uh, the market that Amazon has. Uh, so I've I've been an advocate of e fairness. I think you can see a lot of different reasons in sluggish sales tax collections, but it's not reflective of our economy. It's reflective of spending habits uh, of citizens, and so. We need to have that fairness in the marketplace. That's a longer-term project. My commitment is for if we have a significant infusion of new money from uh, the e-fairness initiative, then that needs to be put in a lockbox for income tax reductions. And that is a significant amount as you look at what's happened in other states. That gives us the opportunity to make a substantial uh, progress on uh, that goal of reducing the rate.
0: And some lawmakers are uh, eyeing this potentially as a way to enable the uh, further tax cuts that this task force will consider in two years.
1: Yeah, and this kind of mirrors a national measure sponsored by uh, Republican uh, Congressman Steve Womack of Northwest Arkansas, who's proposed uh, an act on the congressional level to deal with this this kind of thing, because it it, it would help uh, big box stores like walmart which is in his district or located based in his district i will add a couple of things Uh, for one the department of finance and administration uh, says that they don't know what the revenue impact is going to be from this just because it's i guess too hard to measure you know all the online sales or potential online sales in the future it's not retroactive And uh, as you mentioned, it passed the uh, Senate Revenue and Tax Committee. A day later, it passed the, uh, an identical measure passed the House Revenue and Tax Committee.
2: I think this is a particularly interesting issue for Republicans. I just today spoke with Fayetteville State Representative Charlie Collins, who mentioned, he he mentioned the fact that folks are supposed to be paying taxes on online uh, purchases, but almost no one does. it's it, The onus is on the purchaser. Um, but Collins, a Republican of Fayetteville, and Steve Womack, a Republican congressman uh, at the federal level, and now Asa Hutchinson have all mentioned it. It seems like a, a bit of a Republican crusade to hold buyers accountable for the taxes that uh, are supposed to be paid in online transactions. It seems to fly in the face of kind of conservative Tax uh, crusader Grover Norquist's um, decades-long, uh, as I say, crusade to make sure that at least Republicans, if not Democrats, Republicans never raise taxes. Now we say, you know, we I think in the last year uh, here in Arkansas, uh, the Republican lawmakers who, who are pushing for online sales tax revenue the most are all Republicans, including our governor. One of our four representatives to the U.S. House and uh, Fayetteville representative to the state house.
1: But I will also note that there is some dissent within the Republican Party on this. I was watching the um, House Revenue and Tax Committee when they were talking about this, and Republican Representative Kim Hammer, or Kim Hendren, excuse me, uh, the governor's uncle, I believe, uh, from Gravett um, said he had heard from a lot of constituents in his district, uh, who had told him to oppose something like this because they didn't want a tax increase. And he brought that up for members of that committee. And, um, I believe he voted against it, although it was a voice vote. So it's hard to tell there was some dissent in that committee vote. Um, so that, that illustrates a little bit of dissent within the Republican party. I'm sure there are plenty of conservatives who are against this, but you know, it's, um, it certainly goes both ways, as you mentioned. There's plenty of conservatives who are uh, for it or see it as a, a form of fairness, or tax fairness within the system.
2: Yeah, the governor called it e-fairness. I think that's that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: well, Bobby, you were at a, a hearing uh, on a different bill this week. Uh, it makes no mention of Sharia law, but nonetheless, uh, at this uh, meeting Thursday morning of the House Judiciary Committee, it became a, a huge point of discussion, uh, kind of Some a little, little bit of uh, hostility, a lot of uh, back and forth. How did this topic uh, come up?
2: On Thursday, the House Judiciary Committee spent roughly an hour and a half on State Representative Brant Smith, a, a Jonesboro Republican, his House Bill 1041. That uh, uh, according to the subtitle declares American laws for American courts. That essentially the bill uh, would deny the judiciary—that—that uh, is to say, I'm sorry—courtrooms throughout the state. I guess uh, the use of any argument that would incorporate foreign laws over Arkansas or U.S. laws in deciding court cases here in Arkansas. This is. Uh, an act, uh, you know, that would naturally would uh, come to bear on the state of Arkansas. It would not have any impact on federal courts. Smith was joined by a representative from the Center for Security Policy. This is a Washington uh, think tank that is uh, pretty well consumed by the, the threat of uh, international jihad, and then specifically, uh, Sharia law and, and Muslim influence here in, in America. Um, that, that's not the entirety of what they, they uh, lobby for and, and, and um, consider and report on, but, but it's a lot, at least according to the website. Uh, that man's name is uh, Colonel Paul Deckert. He's retired U.S. Marine Corps. And the House Judiciary Committee is made up of Oh, about 18 members, uh, mostly Republicans, and the committee decided to send House Bill 1041 to the full House for a vote on a voice vote that was almost, um, again, as Chris mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's hard to tell on a voice vote, but it was pretty much along party lines. There's a few Democrats on the committee, including Charles Blake and Clark Tucker, Little Rock Democrats, and David Whitaker, a Fayetteville uh, Democrat, who opposed it. One of the most interesting kind of cross-examinations in this whole thing, we're going to play you an audio clip here, is between Brent Smith, again the Jonesboro Republican, and fellow Republican Carol Dalby of Texarkana, so uh, a direct diagonal through the state here. Dalby is a former Miller County District Judge and even a special justice on the state Supreme Court. And she, as a judge would be, very concerned about uh, legislative overreach into the judicial branch of state government. So let's, let's listen to her uh, questioning Brant Smith.
5: Any person who has been a member of the judiciary raises their hand, takes an oath of office to apply the laws of the state of Arkansas and the laws of the United States and uphold the Constitution. Can you sign? any member of our judiciary who has not done
4: that? I, I cannot. Absolutely not.
5: And follow up, please. And, and as I understand, there were there are no cases, no, no Supreme Court, Arkansas Supreme Court cases or Arkansas Appellate Court cases that have applied foreign law as opposed to Arkansas law. Is that correct? That's what I understood you to say.
0: Is that correct?
1: I don't think I said that.
5: Okay. Do you know of any cases there?
0: I know, I know that there was a local case up in Jonesboro, but when the father fled with the child and left the mother with no recourse and so the case ended.
5: Another follow-up if I may. It appears to me that this is a federal jurisdiction or federal court question as opposed to to what happens in Arkansas with our Arkansas judges, Arkansas courts applying Arkansas law. Would you agree with me on
0: that? I, 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 don't, uh, I don't think I can agree with that
2: fully. So that last voice you heard is Brant Smith, the Republican from Jonesboro. There was a third voice in there. That's uh, Marine Corps Colonel Paul Deckert, retired uh, with the Center for Security Policy. As I say, the debate was was, Pretty evenly. Well, it wasn't even really evenly. I, I think that Smith got a good grilling on this uh, this proposed bill. Even uh, some Republicans expressed their misgivings. Although, I, I, at least relief t- to my ear, it sounded like they all voted to send it to the House floor. Now, maybe there they they will o- o- oppose it. But um, there were a number of guest speakers. All who opposed the bill, there there wasn't a single speaker who uh, joined Deckert and Smith in uh, support of this legislation. They included uh, a couple of Muslim men from the Islamic Center of Little Rock. They included a rabbi, Rabbi Minnick here in Little Rock, a couple of local nonprofit advocates, uh, a local international business lawyer, Graham Catlett. Uh, as well as uh, a gentleman who represented the Unitarian Universalist uh, Church, or at least an association of Unitarian Universalists, who pointed out that the bill includes four lines, all identical, that would seem to direct Arkansas courts to uphold marriage as marriage is defined in the Arkansas Constitution. Now, the Arkansas Constitution, of course, describes marriage as a union between a man and a woman. It does not recognize same-sex marriage. Uh, And in fact, this gentleman uh, from, uh, his name is Hill, from uh, the Unitarian Universalist uh, Association that he represented, uh, pointed out that the US Supreme Court in 2015 in Obergefell v, I can never pronounce that name, Obergefell (laughs) v Hodges, uh, legalized same-sex marriage uh, uh, from coast to coast in the entire country. And that, in fact, this was really curious language to include in a state uh, bill, a, a piece of legislation now in 2015. Uh, Smith later commented on the, the, the that particular element, and he said that uh, he, since this was an Arkansas law, he chose to recognize the Arkansas Constitution. And then he admitted that, in fact, he, he personally uh, agrees with uh, prohibitions against same-sex marriage, so kind of a... Uh, you know, a remnant of uh, something from an earlier legislative time. But uh, as I say, the, the House Bill 1041 is going to go to the full House for a vote. And uh, I imagine like a lot of uh, votes this this session and uh, they'll be largely along party lines, maybe mm. some dissenting Republicans, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: But uh, given the amount of attention this got during the hearing is probably a sign this could be a pretty contentious debate.
2: Could be. It could be. Sharia law is, uh, um, something discussed, I think a lot among certain conservatives. And, uh, and so I, th- I think it was something that, uh, you know, like, uh, many other issues, this legislative session was, was, a just a hot button topic that conservatives wanted to take up and it, and it got its day in committee.
0: Well, another, uh, rather contentious item, uh, Chris, uh, You had uh, the uh, Arkansas House of Representatives take up a bill that would require public colleges and universities to allow people with uh, concealed handgun permits to uh, carry their weapons on campus. But you had a lot of university officials come out and say they don't like this, that uh, this would be confusion for police, not knowing if uh, there is an active shooter who is actually the uh, law-abiding concealed carry Permit holter.
1: Yeah, that's right. A lot of uh, university officials, students uh, from across the state have opposed this. Uh, chief among them, uh, the UA at Fayetteville Chancellor Joseph Steinmetz uh, released a statement opposing this. And what's interesting about this bill is that it, it kind of it replaces a law that was passed in 2013 that allows for uh, college, public colleges and universities to allow for staff and faculty to carry concealed weapons on the campus but all universities uh, and community colleges in the state have opted out of this uh, provision and don't allow it based on their own rules and it's sponsored by Republican representative Charlie Collins out of Fayetteville which of course is where you know the University of Arkansas flagship campus is based he says, that it's about preventing mass shootings. And uh, now, before we play a cut, I should mention, you know, it passed the House easily. It was a 71 to 22 vote, mostly along party lines. Let's hear from Collins. He was uh, presenting his bill on the House floor, uh, kind of talking about this as an added uh, measure of safety for college campuses.
6: Only a fool would suggest that concealed carry holders replace law enforcement, and certainly not this fool. This is an and story. We have policies, procedures, law enforcement, technology, and what I'm submitting to you, allowing staff and faculty who have a concealed carry license to carry at their college or university of work as an added measure to help reduce the number of deaths. So the first question you have to answer before you hit the red button or the green button is do I believe there's a problem? Because if you don't believe there's a problem, then obviously this bill makes no sense. But if you believe there's a problem, you have to go with me to the second question. Is there anything else we can do beyond all of the significant efforts that we are currently pursuing and i support every one of those efforts i do not call for rescinding any of the efforts currently in place i'm talking about something else
1: collins's bill um does you know allow for some exemptions there's a exemption for you know colleges and universities that are uh, close to a medical facility for instance or a presidential library that's actually in the in the bill, so there's one of those in Little Rock, uh, located near a, a UA affiliated campus. Um, I don't know if any of you guys are concealed carry holders, but um, we're also we also happen to be staff of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, so technically we could um, uh, all be bringing uh, weapons to work if if we so chose. If this were to pass um, the Senate and then be signed into law by the governor, but I should note here, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Michael, as I mentioned before, this bill has uh, garnered a lot of opposition, particularly from school administrators, people affiliated with schools, uh, campus police. And here is Democratic uh, Representative Greg Letting, who represents another side of Fayetteville, um, kind of going through or listing off the opposition of his constituency. The people I represent back in Fayetteville have just made it absolutely clear that they oppose this. For those of you that don't know, the entire University of Arkansas campus in Fayetteville is in the district that I represent. And a majority of the students, the parents of those students, the faculty, the staff, uh, the board of trustees, the athletic department, the University of Arkansas police department, and members of the Fayetteville police department have all made it clear that they oppose this bill. They don't think it will make campus safer. And, you know, this does apply just to Faculty and staff does not apply to students. Students wouldn't be allowed to carry concealed firearms or handguns on the campus. So this uh, now heads to the Senate and uh, we'll see what happens there. If, you know, the votes in the House are any uh, indicator, I'm sure, you know, with a heavy Republican majority
2: in the Senate, um, it'll pass easily as well. Chris, do you know of uh, any reason why Representative Collins couldn't produce a, a staff or, or faculty at the U of A in Fayetteville who would wish for this law to, to come into effect? That is to say, someone who would wish to carry based on the 2015 law that was passed, but in fact the university board uh, voted not to elect, to opt out, the opt out option, and as a result this faculty or staff member couldn't carry the gun that he or she would want to it seems like representative collins should have been able to produce that kind of a witness
1: yeah you'd think um you know i certainly we can't speak for you know every single member of the faculty and staff in fayetteville it could be that you know maybe they're in the minority opinion uh, if they do support this and uh you know given the public position of the university administration they might not be as public in their own personal views about this so that could be one reason uh but there could be a host of other reasons too
0: yeah they may not want it uh known that they are a concealed carry permit holder mm-hmm. so any other uh legislative items before we uh move on what is this uh, week four of the legislature
1: yeah that's right um yeah there's uh, another uh Thing that happened this week: um, the Senate cleared a bill to uh, provide some income tax exemptions for uh, military retirees in the state, uh, and in so doing, also imposed uh, some further sales tax on uh, soda pop, <laughs> uh, to use the northern phrase for that. Uh, and uh, let's see, uh, yeah, and that actually got unemployment uh, benefits. And- y-
0: you mentioned uh, Grover Norquist earlier, and. You know, he was uh, his name was uh, invoked uh, against this.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was actually uh, opposed by uh, several conservative groups uh, like the Americans for Prosperity Arkansas chapter, um, who said, you know, sh- shouldn't be raising taxes in these other areas just to cover the you know, loss of revenue exemption with uh, military retiree income. Uh, That bill is heading to the governor's desk. I think he's expected to sign it. You know, there's definitely (laughs) hundreds of bills uh, in the legislature right now. Hopefully we'll be catching up with a a lot of them in future podcasts and in the weeks and months to come as they're enacted.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
2: Well, certainly I'll be interested in a a host of bills filed by State Senator Jason Rapert, a Bigelow Republican, as well as State Representative Robin Lundstrom, a uh, Republican from Springdale, that would seem to really redirect uh, the medical marijuana program uh, uh, voted upon in, in November. I mean, one of Rapert's bills would just end it uh, if, if it were passed and signed into law, would say that uh, no marijuana could be sold legally in the state on, until it was legalized at the federal level, which, of course, hasn't happened And probably won't for for some time, if ever. So, Robin Lundstrom, the representative from Springdale, her, her bills would curtail some of the, the freedoms currently allowed in the, in the amendment, but it wouldn't uh, nearly uh, end it the way that Rapert's bills uh, or bill would. So, anyway, it, clearly legislators are really interested in the medical marijuana program. And some, some of their interest is toward basically stymieing the, the, the program. And, and for many other legislators, it's, it's simply toward directing it.
1: And it's always interesting to follow the kind of proposed constitutional amendments that the General Assembly puts forward. Uh, the legislature can submit by law. Uh, or refer three proposed constitutional amendments for a vote of the people each session uh, that will be taken up in the general election. Uh, one of those, for instance, this week proposed by uh, State Senator uh, Missy Irvin, a Republican from northern Arkansas, would limit damages in um, tort cases, um, you know, workplace injury lawsuits, and that, that would go for a vote of the people. Obviously, I think that's somewhat I'm, controversial measure in, in a sense. I'm sure it has a lot of support uh, from the Republican base, however, and especially the business establishment.
2: And there was a pretty strict tort reform um, ballot proposal slated for November that the Supreme Court shot down. So this isn't the same language, but it, it's certainly another stab at lowering um, jury verdicts, uh, rather awards um, in, in lawsuits, um, capping the awards, presumably to cut down on the, uh, amount of money being kind of sifted off the, the tops of businesses balance sheets and, and moved over to the, <laughs> you know, law firm sector.
1: Yeah. A lot of, uh, supporters of that kind of legislation kind of characterize lawsuits like this as frivolous lawsuits, uh, where, you know, out of state attorneys come in and, uh, hop on some uh, class action case and collect these big rewards. You know, that's definitely not the, the case in all instances. Could be the case in some instances, but, you know, that's one way the supporters of this kind of legislation frame it.
0: Well, we will uh, continue to follow the legislature. Here are our daily coverage every morning and afternoon on KUAR, and uh, we'll be back next week with the latest on that. We'll wrap up the podcast now on a lighter note. Uh, If you're a regular listener of KUAR, especially if you enjoy the uh, evening jazz programs, you probably know the name John Kane. He's been uh, doing a show here on KUAR for more than 30 years. Uh, His day job is uh, working as program director over at Community Radio Station, KBF, also does uh, jazz programs there. He's someone I've known for uh, about 29 years. uh, From I started my radio career over at KABF doing a middle of the night alternative rock show. And uh, whenever I see John here at KUAR, it's always great to see him. He celebrated his 80th birthday Wednesday night, and uh, they had a big celebration for him over at the Whitewater Tavern. So, uh, you know, John, being one of my favorite people, he's someone I've always wanted to actually uh, sit down with and uh, interview. So actually uh, sat down with him for about 10 minutes, talked about his uh, long career uh, in radio, as well as his uh, efforts in uh, preservation. Uh, He's done a whole lot, especially longtime activist with the uh, Mosaic uh, Templars, working to try and get that building uh, restored. Uh, but that uh, ended up being destroyed in a fire. But uh, a new museum looking at the African-American experience in Arkansas was built in its place. So here is uh, my conversation with uh, John Kane on the uh, evening of his 80th birthday. We're sitting outside the uh, Whitewater Tavern. John Kane, it's your 80th birthday. Happy birthday.
7: Thank you very much, Michael.
0: How long have you been in radio?
7: 51 years and counting.
0: How did you get started?
7: I went to a person that I realized I had an opportunity to get into radio as an engineer and or broadcaster. I never considered myself a DJ. Most people think I'm, you know, probably entered that way. But I went to Ed Phelan. Ed Phelan, was the manager of KALO back in the 60s. I went to him because I discovered that uh, the Federal Communications Commission was requiring all radio stations to take transmitter readings past midnight. The signal was 1250, KALO located at 2919 West Markham when I approached Ed at Phelan back in the early 60s to uh, get on there, air. And what I proposed to it, Michael, was, I want to bring you something that you don't hear normally, some off-Broadway theater, focusing on African-Americans to change the profile that was there, buffoonery, the not intellectual stuff. He needed that engineer overnight from midnight until six AM. I says, let me do a show while I'm here. So I'm actually at the transmitter doing an overnight radio show radio show five nights a week. That's how I actually got into radio. Occasionally I would stand in do top forty formats in drive time when they needed something, but it was overnight radio that really um, gave me the opportunity to do. become a preservationist of sorts, a musicologist, a mixologist, or whatever you want to call that.
0: What was the music?
7: Everything, you can imagine. All of the American music that was developed from early jazz, occasionally field music, field hollows were, you know, I put that into the programs too, to bring consciousness and awareness to how american music developed
0: by chance a few years ago there was a company that ended up with the uh, tapes for the company that made jingles for k-a-l-o oh really and i bought a a a jingle package from that company and one of them there's like a jingle for john kane
7: that's amazing michael
0: i'm gonna i'll play it right now
7: soul brother johnny kane k-a-l-o
0: how did you end up at uh, KBF?
7: I actually came back home on the preservation mission for the Mosaic Templars mm-hmm. building which is now a museum and a cultural center. Mm-hmm. I actually started the work a year before I came home which was also about the same time that KABF was coming on the air. I got here about a month before The station actually came on the air, so I volunteered to help them do that. Um, Volunteered about four or five years before I actually applied for the uh, program director, as it became available. So
0: you were on the air when it hit the air in uh, '84. In
7: 1984, when it came on the air, the run up to that man, I was in Alabama working as a preservationist in jazz culture and and those things, and community theater, which made me more focus on the issues here after 630 was being cut across the, the city. And the building on West 9th Street was in jeopardy. So I started by contacting Bill Worthen, the Historic Preservation Alliance, they advised me on how to start this campaign, so I worked about four years alone, uh, just trying to organize the society to save the building.
0: And eventually, big fire there, was it?
7: 2005, I think, because we had started the restoration. Uh, prior to that, uh, we were still seeking funding uh, from the state. The state was the principal partner. We started with the city. They collaborated with the state, and that's the protocol in the process of preservation for historic buildings. So we were qualified to do that. Uh, the fire was the catalyst that brought the whole thing to reality. Without that, uh, we still would have been struggling for many years after that. After the fire, 24 hours later, we were in the Capitol Rotunda talking to the governor and all those preservationists about, how to change a restoration project into a new building project. The building was completely destroyed, not salvageable at all. So we had a million dollar Lawrence of London policy, Mike, that we asked the governor to match out of the Department of Heritage Funding, which he did. He kept the project moving. We got a building and a historic place in American history.
0: It's a beautiful place Good there's some history of 9th Street.
7: Yes, yes.
0: Uh, you say, what, What's your proudest uh, achievement? You know, either that or uh, radio or, or in anything.
7: My proudest achievement would be getting into radio. Without the medium, I couldn't really profile models of our culture and what was intellectual and made you think and look at African Americans differently radio without a doubt
0: uh, and when did you start with uh, KUAR how did you come to do 52nd Street jazz on Sunday nights
7: uh, as um, things were changing this was this was 86 and uh, the host of 52nd Street jazz was moving back to Louisiana I went and talked to Regina Dean I actually had been referred to to her because of my activism as a jazz preservationist with the Arkansas Jazz and Heritage Foundation and the jazz that we were bringing into the awareness of the demographics for KABF. We figured it out that it was a good option. I actually were doing about three or four nights a week, Mike, coming into the studio and. And doing that until about, whenever, Cor- whenever Norwood left, Seymour Norwood left, that left short shorthanded. So I could only do one night a week because now I'm program director at KABF. I didn't have the time that I had originally. So I got that through Re- Regina Dean who was station manager, Eddie Zuck who was program director, jazz preservationist, man, they were. Academic side, it was a good fit.
0: And you kept doing it in KABF simultaneous now for decades. I
7: work every
6: day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Great, well, I don't want to keep you too much from your party, but it's great to see everybody come out. It's great to see you doing well. Anything uh, else you want to add?
7: Well, I'm glad you're here. We're supposed to be here. You're one of the real people that I really saw come into community radio and make a career out of this whole thing. It, to me, it was proof positive that it worked. And to see you where you are and the places you've been and what you do now with the respect you have as a professional uh, radio broadcaster and announcement and news newsman. <laughs> it's awesome, man. Yeah, no, 29. Yeah.
0: 29- Years and that all started when I first met you as a junior in high school. Yes. You know, happy just to be doing a show in the middle of the night on KABF.
7: Radio works. <laughs>
0: yeah, radio is great. It's holy. Yeah. John, thanks for talking with me.
7: Thank you,
2: Michael. I wanted to ask you to repeat how you got your start in radio. What was the what was the format again? Alternative rock. <laughs> in the middle of the night. In the middle of the night. It
0: was uh, my initial uh, slot was the uh, coveted. 1 to 2 a.m. slot on Tuesday nights. I was a junior in high school.
2: I just want to say that nocturnal and alternative rock are exactly the words I would use in a courtroom to describe you, Michael Hibland. (laughs) Is this John Cain singing? No, no, it's
0: not John Cain. This is, uh, they called it the uh, John Cain All-Star Band. I think this was uh, put together uh, especially for this event. Uh, Unfortunately, I don't know who is... uh, singing this, but they had some uh, great music. Also there was uh, Amy Garland, and uh, a lot of people came out just to show a lot of love to that, uh, John Kane.
2: That is awesome, and definitely deserved for that guy. Yeah. Yeah, tune in to his show Sunday night.
1: Yep, 9 to midnight. Actually, I think he's taking off this Sunday. Already.
0: Yeah, he, he, he is. He's going somewhere, so uh, so he'll be just going to uh, you know the Jazz Satellite, but uh, anyway, John Kane Love him. Great guy. So uh, thanks for listening to our Weekend Review podcast. I'm Michael Hiplin.
2: I'm Bobby Ampazon with Arkansas Public Media. And I'm Chris Hickey.
0: Arkansas Public Media is a statewide reporting project funded by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting and public radio stations around Arkansas like us. KUAR, we get some funding from uh, CPB as well. The station is a listener-supported, editorially independent service of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Thanks for listening. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, you can sign up on iTunes, or you can hear the podcast each week at kuar.org.